The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. If you have your Bibles, would you grab them? Would you open with me to Romans chapter 11? Um, as always, by the way, if you're here and you don't have a Bible, there should be a hardback black or blue one somewhere around you. I want to invite you to grab that one. And if you're here and you don't own a Bible, you don't have one, um, I, I want to invite you, encourage you to take that one. It's not stealing if I give you permission. You can have it. It's our joy to give it to you. Um, Listen, we've been walking our way all the way through Romans, and uh, we are arriving here um, as we stepped into chapter 11, and, but listen, of all the texts that we have preached in Romans, out of all of them, um, whew, this one might be the most challenging. This one might be. This might take the cake, church, for the most challenging. So, by the way, we preach, the way we preach here is through books of the Bible. We just walk through them. And I love this. I love, I love this. But let me tell you, if we didn't preach that way, the text we're about to look at, there's a good chance. Just pastor moment here. This one wouldn't have appeared on my preaching calendar, which is one of the reasons I love the way we preach the way we do. This week has been so good and rich and challenging. I am so grateful that God in his grace didn't allow us to skip this one but it's not an easy one. So here's my reminder for us. Remember last week, I said we approach Romans with two things, humility and grace. Humility, knowing you're not God, I'm not God, he is God, he's good. There are things that we are not going to fully be able to wrap our minds around, and when that happens, you praise God for the fact he is God. You don't want a God who you can fully put into a small, one of your little boxes. You don't want that. So humility is a good thing when we approach what we are about to approach. Second is grace. Both grace for yourself as you are seeking to grow in your understanding of this and grace for each other as you're doing it in a community. Humility, grace, and I can't wait to see what God is going to do. I pray that defines our time. Now, before I read this and before I pray over us um, in our text, um, I think it's important that we remember what we just came out of. We've said this many times, but this letter of Romans is one letter, and it builds on each other. Like every week, just builds. It's like Ikea furniture. If you get whatever you get, and you take the instructions out, and you open to page 23 in step 17b, what's going to happen? You're going to be lost. You're going to get yourself in a ton of trouble. You're going to end up drilling new holes. By the way, never a good thing in Ikea furniture. You're going to have leftover pieces. Why is that? Because it's meant to be taken step by step by step in some ways, and in some of the same ways. And it, Paul and Romans, it's a lot like that. It's one argument that's unpacking step by step. Step. It's important we understand where we are. So last week, I talked about the idea of remnant, and I, I came up with this phrase, remnant theology. Don't look it up. I made it up. Um, but this idea of remnant theology is this, that God has a people, a chosen people within the chosen people, 
right? Remnant theology, God has a chosen people within the chosen people. So we looked at this last week and we saw how it was all over scripture. Ever since the fall of Genesis 3, God, we see remnants. Remnants, it's, it's the way God engages with the fallen world. It's through remnants. I'm not going to go into all the detail here, but let me give you a few. Genesis 6. What do we see in Genesis 6? We see Noah and the ark. Noah and the ark. And, and what do we see in Noah's story? We see God making a, a, a covenant with a small remnant, one family. One family. In Noah, God calls one family out from among the others. Remnant. Fast forward. Genesis 12. Abraham. What does God do? In Abraham, he calls one people out from among the other peoples. Remnant. One more. Exodus. Actually, you could take the whole Old Testament. You have the people of Israel, the nation of Israel. And in Israel, God calls one nation out from among the other nations. Again, remnant, remnant. And we've seen through it all, by the way, that this idea of remnant, um, it's always gone deeper than just simply ethnicity or, or proximity or nationality, it's always gone deeper. We see in, in Romans 9, we see that um, Paul, in talking about the remnant of Israel, he says, hey, not all, in verse 6, not all who descended from Israel belong to Israel. What's he saying? There is a remnant. In verse 8, he says, this means that it's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise that are counted as his offspring. This means that even among the Jewish people, Remnant. God has a chosen people from within the chosen people. It's not based on ethnicity. It's not based on proximity, nationality, works, deeds, law. It's based on something totally else entirely. And um, so last week we used this picture, if you remember. We have, we have here, this is the Jewish people. We have this, this is the people of Israel. And then we had this, if you remember. This is the remnant within. Let me push on this just a little bit. You can be born into this by being born into the right family. You can um, do the right things to be a part of this by, by you know, doing all those right things. Um, but here's the deal. You can't get here by birth or by work. And what makes us, what makes you part of this people? I'm glad you, you asked that because that's what we're going to be looking at this morning in this text. So here's the deal. Let me, let me read for us uh, this text, and then I'll pray, and then we will get to, get to the work, all right? Romans 11, starting in verse 7, says this, What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that, that, could, that would not see, ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs 
forever. Let's pray together. God, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for bringing us around it today. God, would you give us the eyes to see? God, would you give us the ears that we may hear? As we read, even the eyes and the ears to see and to hear are gifts from you, gifts of your grace. So Lord, would you have mercy on us? Would you pour out your grace on us? Would you help us to see? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so Paul uh, starts off kind of like he always starts off, honestly, with a question. He says, what then? This is coming right off of verses 5 and 6, where he talks about at the present time, there is this remnant that's chosen by grace. Not by works, but by grace. Then right out of that, he goes, what then? What now? Since God has a remnant, and this remnant's not based on nationality, ethnicity, birth status, not based on the law or works, what then? Since the remnant is chosen by grace, what then? What now? So here's what Paul is going to do. He is going to give us three statements. Three statements actually all packed into a power verse in verse 7. We are going to spend the first chunk of our time unpacking each of the three statements Paul makes in that first verse. We are going to pick them apart one by one. He says this. Here's the verse I'm talking about. Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it. The rest were hardened. We have three statements here. We're going to get to work unpacking these three statements. And in each of these three statements, what we are going to do, we're going to look at statement number one first. We are going to ask three questions about each of these three statements, okay? As simple as that. We're going to ask three, the same three questions about each of these statements, and here are the questions. Who, what, how? Each statement, we are going to ask and answer who, what, how. Some of these are going to be easy. Some of these, we're going to get to work, okay? And I think once we do this, we're going to put it all together and then we'll go from there, okay? So who, what, how? Let's start with our first statement. Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. Let's ask the first question, who? This one's easy. This, one is, uh, this one's an easy one. Israel failed, all right? We're getting there. Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. That is the who. This is a collective statement. Israel as a whole. So it might help to look at our diagram here. What we're talking about with this first statement is this, Israel as a whole, Israel as a whole. We're, we're talking about the people who had received the prophets, the writings, the, the, the miracles, the law. We're talking about the chosen covenant people. Paul makes the first statement, Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The who is Israel. All right, easy one. Now, let's go to the what uh, the what? According to Paul, Israel failed to obtain what? What it was seeking. That's not all that helpful. What was it? Fortunately, context is going to help us a lot here. A lot. Um, if you remember, what is the main problem of Romans? This isn't a quiz. I'll tell you. Um, the main problem that we have seen 
every week in Romans is this. We have a holy, perfect God who is just and righteous all the time. And he can never be less than that. And he can't even bend his standards for a moment because he is perfectly holy, righteous, and just. And then we have you. Then we have us. We are not. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, no, not even one, Paul says. So we have this problem. We have the holy God and us. How can we stand before a holy and righteous judge? When Paul says Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking, church, what he means is this. What he's talking about is they were seeking to be right before God, justification. They were seeking to solve the problem, the, the God is holy and I am not problem. Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. That's justification, salvation, wholeness, shalom. That is righteousness. Righteousness. In many, a way, in many ways, church, this is exactly what so many of us seek. A way to, to, to fix and to deal and to handle our own brokenness. I've said this before, but Paul doesn't tell us new news when he says that we're broken. He tells us what we already know. How do we fix this? And, and Paul says, Israel failed. Failed to find, failed to obtain what it was seeking. So we need to ask then the third question. How? How? It's important because, because Israel, the who, failed to obtain righteousness, the what. And it leads us to ask, well, how were they seeking it? How were they seeking it? Well, Paul, fortunately, again, as I said, it builds, has already shown us this. Romans 9, 33. It says, what shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law talking about the same thing here but then listen to what paul says in verse 32 why thank you for asking paul why because they did not pursue it by faith but as if it were based on works i gotta ask israel failed to obtain the righteousness because how were they seeking it by works by works going back israel the who failed to obtain righteousness the what because they were seeking it through works, the how. All right? We did it. Statement number one is behind us now. Let's move to our second statement of the morning. The elect obtained it. The elect obtained it. You ready for our questions? Here we go. Let's start with the who. Who? Well, it's this group called the elect. It's this group called the elect. Um, Paul, fortunately, has used this term a handful of times in Romans already. Some of my favorite verses. Romans 8, uh, 33. Who's going to bring a charge against my elect? He says. It's God who justifies. Love that verse. We, we see it in, again, Romans 9, 11. Before they had done, been born and done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. 
each of these verses and every verse like it that deal with this concept of elect, we see that the elect are the ones who are justified and chosen by God, not based on their works. Not based on their works, their goodness, their ethnicity, anything else, but by the grace of God, which just so happens to be what Paul's been talking to us about. If you look just at one verse before ours, um, in verses, actually two, I lied, verses five and six of chapter 11, he says, so too at this present time, there is a what? There is a remnant chosen by grace, no longer by works. It's the same, same verbiage here, isn't it, church? So, so here, here is, is the elect here is the remnant that he's already been talking about. So when we say the elect obtained it, he's referring us right back to the remnant he's been talking about. So if we look at our diagram again, we have this. We have the, the elect right here. The elect right here. So out of the whole people, the elect right here. And so the elect are the remnant. Who are the remnant? The elect are the remnant. The remnant. And so what did they obtain? It says they obtained it. What is it? Well, again, this one's kind of easy. It's talking about the same thing. The first statement was talking about. Here, the elect, the remnant, they obtained what they were seeking, and that is righteousness. Righteousness. So Israel failed to obtain it. The remnant, the elect, obtained it. And so the, the, the last, this leads to the all-important question then, our last question here, how? How did the elect obtain it when even Israel did not? Fortunately, fortunately, um, we have a lot of insight here from Paul again on this one. A lot. Um, he has walked us through this again and again and again and again and again and again, starting right in chapter 1 when he says, the righteous shall live by faith. He gives us the how. Right in chapter 1. Listen, if you were to read Romans, which I hope you are, and you were to look for this idea of righteousness through faith, you're not going to see it one or tw two times, three times, four times. You are literally going to see it everywhere. This is not one of the minor things it talks about. This is like, this is the core. Romans is, is getting at. We are justified, made right by faith. Chapter 4. We see that all the promises are given to us just as they were given to Abraham through faith. Chapter 4. We see that we have peace with God through faith. Chapter 5. I could go on. This is everywhere. This is throughout the entire letter. Faith, 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 faith is Paul's predominant message to us. So the big problem is, just all the time, perfectly, we are not. That's the problem. And, and Paul, right into this problem, brings us the good news, the gospel. And what the gospel says is there is a solution to this problem, and that solution is not based on what you do or what family you were born into. That solution, as we talked about last week, is by grace. And what is the solution, church? 
It's faith. Hebrews 11, 1 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is belief and trust, to trust Jesus above ourselves. This is faith. Salvation is by grace through faith. And when I say that, I'm not talking about some woohoo, hocus pocus thing. I'm not. I'm talking about simply coming before our God and saying, I trust you more than I trust myself. It's faith. This is faith. Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. Israel, the who, failed to obtain righteousness, the what, that it was seeking. How? By works. By works. What that means is they were not trusting. They were not trusting in Christ. They were trusting in what they were doing. They were trusting in being born into the right family. Their how was not faith in Christ, but faith in themselves. And in contrast, Paul says, the elect obtained it. The elect who? The remnant? Obtained it? The what? Righteousness. And how did they do it? By faith. By faith. They obtained it by faith. You with me so far? We got one more statement. It's a fun one. Last statement. Let's bring it all together. Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. Statement number two, the elect obtained it. Statement number three, but the rest were hardened. The rest were, were hardened. You ready for our questions? Let's start with the who. Well, the who is the rest. Uh, the rest, meaning in, in this context, the, the, the non-remnant, non-elect. So if you think about our diagram, this might help a little bit. Um, if you think about our diagram, we have all of this. Um, this is the, the, the who of statement number one. This is the who of statement number two. This is the who statement number three the rest the rest um, if the remnant are God's chosen people within the chosen people the rest are the ones who may belong to the right families might be doing the right things but who are not the remnant in faith the who is the rest to use the language directly from this text it's the non-elect, the, the non-remnant. It's the who. Okay, then? What about the what? What is the what here? Well, the what is, is somewhat obvious. It's the hardening of hearts. So you have the rest were what? They were hardened. Hardened. The text says that the rest were hardened. And, and I want to push us past verse 7 a little bit to verse 8. That says, as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that wouldn't see, ears that would not hear. These verses give us a glimpse of what hardening is. It's a spirit of stupor. It's eyes that just won't see. It's ears that just won't hear. The who is the rest. The what? 
There's a hardening of their heart. And now we get to the question, how? How? This is where the rubber meets that road. How? The rest, the non-remit, the non-elect, hearts have been hardened. How? Simply stated by God. Hold on. By God. Notice first the grammar of your verse. Um, In verse 7, they were hardened. This is a passive verb. It's passive as opposed to active. I'm going to way simplify this. Anyone love grammar? I didn't think so. Uh, We got one, maybe a half. Um, In most cases, active verbs are sentences where the subject performs the action. It's the one doing it. In most cases, passive verbs are sentences in, in which the subject undergoes the action done to them. Meaning here in this text that the rest, the non-elect, were not hardening their own hearts according to the grammar, love grammar, their hearts were being hardened. But it's not only the grammar. Let's look at the actual words of this text. Specifically verse 8. Verse 8 says, as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor. In the context, God gave them eyes that wouldn't see, ears that would not hear. God did this. God was the active agent in this. This may be very difficult to wrap our minds around. But I want to encourage us to take all of this in together. Take all of this in together. Eyes that are shut by God cannot be opened because only God can open eyes. Ears that are shut by God cannot be opened because only God can open ears. And also, don't miss this, don't miss this, that the whole point of the gospel is that God opens eyes and opens ears. The whole point of the good news is this. And so don't think for a minute, if anyone tells you that the way to Jesus is just find him, open your eyes and see him. That's not the picture we get in the gospel. What we see here instead, that's self-help, by the way. What we see here is that God opens eyes. And as we see in this text, God closes eyes. Um, Salvation is not about us looking, striving for God. If only we would find him. The, the, it's not about us trying to get to him. Salvation is about what God has done to get to us. Salvation is about God coming to us and opening our eyes to him. And this means that salvation is all about the grace of God and faith in the one who opens eyes. This is why, by the way, I don't, you might come from a tradition that calls it the sinner's prayer. Uh, that prayer that w- when we respond to Jesus, that's why that prayer is never, God, look at me, how great I am. Look at me of all the things that I have done, the things I have not done, the things that they're doing that I'm not doing. 
look at me. It's never been about that. Our prayer, in all honesty, the, the salvation sinner's prayer, it should sound something like this. Lord, have mercy. Have mercy. Thank you for opening my eyes, forgiving me. Thank you for accomplishing my salvation in Jesus Christ. It's one of the hardest things to wrap our minds around in the gospel. Because here's what I think we might, I don't know, be tempted to do. We might take verse 7 of Romans 11 and go two for three. Two for three. So what I mean is statement number one, Israel failed to obtain righteousness. It was seeking through works. Amen. Preach. Statement number two, the elect um, did obtain righteousness. They obtained it by faith. Preach, preach, we're, we're in. Um, but then, the rest were hardened. I want to say two things before we, we seek to apply this. Um, the first is this. Um, we've said this before. But there is a mystery here that you will not be able to solve. I am not making a cop-out here. Uh, in fact, I, I know this isn't fair. I'm skipping ahead. This isn't even my text. But if you skip down to verse 33 of Romans, just a few verses later, it says, Oh, the depths, the riches, the wisdom, the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgment, how unscrutable his ways. Do you know what unsearchable means? You, unsearchable. Do you know what unscrutable means? Probably not. Um, it means impossible to understand. There is a mystery here that you and I will never be able to fully understand, and that is not a cop-out. It is because your God is God. He's bigger than you, and you are not. Because the depths of God's wisdom are beyond your comprehension. And the moment that you think, I Fully understand my God in all his ways. That should be the greatest warning sign. You have created an idol. You have created a God that is far too small. So it's okay to acknowledge mystery. It's actually a sign of great spiritual maturity to acknowledge mystery. That's the first thing. But it's not the only thing here. I want us to think about something else. Perspective. Uh, perspective. We not only come to a text like this and struggle because we can't fully wrap our minds around it, but there's also something else going on, and it has to do with perspective and vantage point. And I have a horrible example. Forgive me. I hope it makes sense. If it doesn't, just forget I ever did this. Bad example is, honey, I shrunk the kids. <laughs> I told you. Please forgive me if this is terrible. Um, I don't know why it came on the other day. It did in, in our house, and... Uh, uh, by the way, movie technology has come a long way. Uh, it really has. But the whole point of the movie is that, is that uh, there are kids who are shrunk, as the title implies, and the movie basically follows the microscopic children through a suburban backyard. Okay, that's the, my synopsis of this, of this movie. So in this movie, as a normal-sized person, the backyard 
is a backyard. It's just a square suburban green backyard. That's all it is. But as microscopic sized people, that backyard is a terrifying jungle filled with fake looking ants and horrible looking scorpions and, and uh, Legos and lawnmowers. It's just crazy. It's crazy. Listen, same backyard, different perspective. Same backyard, different perspective. From up here, green little square. From down here, terrifying jungle. Same backyard. In some ways, this text is a lot like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. That is a phrase I never thought I would ever say from a pulpit. Um, From our microscopic, follow me here, from our microscopic perspective, what we see, we see our choices, we see our decisions, we see the fact that we have our lives in free will, we see the fact that we choose to respond to our God, we see the fact that we choose, I have decided to follow Jesus. We sang that song a couple weeks ago. No turning back, no turning back. We live in a world, our perspective, that is absolutely true. We, we acknowledge our role from our vantage point. And this text gives us a glimpse of another vantage point. One that is higher than ours. Gives us a glimpse into the mystery of God's perspective and vantage point. His sovereignty that is perfect. His will. His work in accomplishing salvation. And just like, I can't believe I'm going back to this movie again. Just like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. One vantage point does not negate the other. What I mean by this is the fact that our God is sovereign does not negate our opportunity and responsibility to respond in faith. And the fact that we respond in faith does not negate the fact that our God is sovereign. Does not negate it. This verse points us to the fact that there is a mystery. There is a perspective here. And I think I'm about to make the most obvious, no-brainer statement of the morning. Here it is. Um, What are we to do with a text like this? What are we to do with a mystery, a text that is tough? What are we to do with it? Here it is, obvious statement of the morning. We believe it. Trust it. Trust that our God is God and that we are not. In other words, church, faith. This text is about faith. And I'm not talking some lazy, unquestioned, you know, blind faith. You know, the Christian faith is a faith that is a searchable faith, but it is also a faith. Meaning, it's beyond what you can see. It's beyond what we can fully wrap our mind around. Again, what does Hebrews say? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. It's not wrong. It's not wrong. It's not wrong at all. Uh, To search. In fact, the Christian faith 
it gets stronger as you search it because it's true. But the call is still to faith. As the hero of the faith, St. Augustine said, it is faith seeking understanding. That's our, that's our call. That's our call. And as difficult, honestly, as this text may be for us to wrap our minds around, the call from this text is actually quite simple. It's actually really simple. And, and, and it's this. Do you trust Christ alone for your salvation? Romans 10.9 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. Faith. Faith, to use the words of our verse, the distinction between the remnant and the rest. What is it? It's faith. The distinction between the remnant and the rest is faith. And that means that we can drop the act. We can, we can stop trying to earn it. We can stop trying to fix it on our own. Because in the end, here's the question. That really matters. This is the question. It's not, hey, what family were you born into? It's not, how well have you obeyed? It's not, how often do you go to church? Do you give and do you serve? It's not, you know, are you a relatively good person? I'm going to add one because it's America in 2021. Um, it's not how do you line up politically. In the end, at the core, beneath it all, that is the question that matters. Do you believe in Christ? Do you trust him as your Lord and Savior? Do you trust in Christ alone for your salvation. And this isn't a hypothetical one. I, I want you to chew on this one. Um, because if you do, I can say with complete and full confidence because of this, that God has saved you. That you are his chosen people. That you are his remnant. You are his people. You are his. At the core, that is your... That is who you are. That is your identity. A child of God, both now and forever. And at the same time, if you are hearing this, reading this this morning, and you have never responded to the gospel... I believe that God opens blind eyes. He has done it in my life. Is God calling you this morning? You may be here in this moment and, and you don't know why, you don't know what to say about it, but you feel your heart soften. Maybe you're here and you're even thinking, Pastor, I think I do. I think I do believe. 
I want to believe in him, to trust in him, to forgive me of my sins. I'm tired of trying it on my own. I trust him. That is the work of Jesus. That is the work of God in your life, giving you the eyes to see. If you think about it, here's what our God does. And this is incredible. He calls us and then to hear him. He makes us thirsty. And then he gives us the drink to satisfy that thirst. Our God is good. Our God is, is good. I believe God is giving you the heart to believe in this moment. Here in a moment, we're gonna just have a moment to pray and to respond. And the single most important takeaway that you have from this time this morning is to answer this question. I encourage you, wherever you have come into this place with, whatever your background, to answer this question. To answer this question. God demonstrated his great love for you in that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you, took all of your sin on his shoulders on the cross and gave you all of his perfection. He rose from the dead so that in him, through him, we will rise now with him. Do you believe in Jesus? Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Thank you.